Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi Olivia and hello to the listeners. We actually have two new reviews today, which is so great. Bloody great news. First one is from Anna Cash D that says, Five stars love this podcast, super engaging hosts, perfect balance of entertaining and informative, which thank you so much. And then the second one is from Izzy MG, five stars, love it. Such a great podcast to tune into. Really helps me feel less lonely during these isolated times. It's like having your mates around for a chat, which is really cute. That is nice. But for now, so hi to Izzy and to Anna and hello to all the listeners. Welcome to the Polyester Podcast. I'm Ioni and I'm the founder and editor of Polyester, online and in print and everywhere else. And I'm Olivia, the co-host, producer and editor. We publish weekly episodes of the Sleepover Club on Week and Obsessions the next. This week, it's the Sleepover Club where Olivia and I and some very special guests this week have all those gorgeous conversations you usually have at a sleepover with your girlmates and... We don't actually have any recommendations this week, but normally we do. And next week is the Obsessions episode where we speak to someone that we admire about something they're obsessed with that has nothing to do with how they generate their income. So this is a very exciting episode because it's basically kicking off like a mini collaboration. Actually, it's not mini. I don't know why I said mini. Minimising our work. (laughs) It's kicking off a collaboration between Polyester and Girls in Film for their film fund which is supported by Dr Martins and we are doing like a whole load of stuff with them but this episode is the first of that so we're really really excited and we thought it'd be like a really good kind of end of year opportunity to sit with a couple of people that we really admire and talk to them about their industry and like how the film industry operates and how women's place in it is navigated by people that are in different roles. So joining us, we have Bex, who works on production for Girls in Film. If you don't know that much about Girls in Film, it's an organisation that is changing the gender bias in the film industry. They believe it starts with bringing women to the forefront, which obvs true. They have like an online platform. They also do like production events. And it's basically just like a worldwide community. It's such a great community as well. And it's been great to work with them. So Bex works for Girls in Film and then our second guest is Anna Billa, who I'm sure many of our listeners are familiar with, the director, writer, creator of Viva and our personal fave, The Love Witch. Amazing. 
And it really feels like a good sleepover club topic because what better to do at a sleepover than watch great films, including The Love Witch? Exactly. Couldn't put it back myself. <laughs> and apparently, if you haven't watched The Love Witch yet, it's on 4OD, so top tip. If you haven't managed Literally to watch, just it, watch it, go watch it. You'll feel amazing after. But here's the interview, well, the interview chat, whatever. Here it is. Hi, everyone. Hi. Hi. So as you've already heard, listeners, we have some very special guests with us today. Anna and Bex, would you like to introduce yourself? Maybe Anna, go first. My name is Anna Biller. I'm a filmmaker. I live in Los Angeles. Um, I made The Love Witch. I'm Bex. I'm a producer. I am based in London and I work with Girls in Film. Great. So just as a starting point, I thought it would be good if you two could kind of like talk through your, I mean, the word journey is so embarrassing, but like journey where you are now <laughs> and like how you got there. Because I think that can sometimes seem like a really intimidating thing, like if that makes sense. Uh, I mean, I feel old, but I guess I'm relatively young. Um, so I, I I can't say tons, but I basically started, I did a maths degree and I hated every minute of it. And when I graduated, I wanted to do something in the creative industries but I really didn't know where to start and I was lucky enough to get a sort of like an internship with a casting director and worked kind of as a casting assistant for a while and got into ads production in a production house in London and worked there for a year and then I wanted to try out different areas of the industry so I went into TV and then I went into like a digital media company and did a bit of documentary and this summer, after spending like a year or so doing bits on the side, I went fully freelance and it's been good. Yeah. That's a weird time to go freelance. Very weird time to go freelance. I, I, I was feeling quite suffocated in my job and um, lockdown was also really suffocating. So I just thought, if not now, when? Yeah. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, I always commend anyone going freelance, to be honest. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> what about you, Anna? Well, you know, I, I started off wanting to act and I went to UCLA for acting and um, I decided I didn't want to act like <laughs> this quarter there. Partly, it was partly a racism thing. Like I was only getting cast in ethnic roles. So I decided I wanted to be director. And then I went into the art department instead because you couldn't go into film directing to your third year. Mm-hmm. And I ended up falling in love with the art department. So I just stayed there. And then I went to um, graduate school at CalArts for art. That's when I got really into film. <laughs> so I, I applied to the inter-school with, with film and I started making... I was making films before, though. I was making videos in art school and I was making Super 8 films after I got out of school. And I was... I started to do the thing where I was making my own sets and costumes and writing music and just making all these dresses. And so I started off doing that just kind of instinctively. Mm-hmm. And then I found out when I went to CalArts that that's what everyone loved was those really strange that also great films that I was making. They didn't want me to paint anymore. So <laughs> I just went fully doing film and I made some short films and got them into festivals. And it was quite a few years of really hard difficult you know like not not very much success with my short films and then I made a feature uh Viva and that did a little bit better and I made the love witch but there's been you it's been a long journey something that me and Olivia were talking about 
about your work before we started recording was kind of like I'm not sure if it's because you do everything yourself or like for other reasons how I really respect the fact you take your time for doing each project and we were kind of interested in hearing a bit about that from your perspective like is that something that is by choice or something that is because you do everything so it takes a lot of time or like how does that work basically and what are the constraints and also the positives? Well, you know, I started out as, like I said, as an artist working in my studio and some of what I did was video and performance and installation. And and I think the films are just an extension of that. Like, especially the short films, they were just like a scene basically that was all constructed like in my studio. And then so I started making features the same way, which is not really how you're supposed to make a feature. You know, but um, I didn't know how else to do it. Is the thing I I don't know. I actually didn't. I couldn't figure out another way to do it because I couldn't get with the budgets I had. I couldn't actually. I didn't have the money to hire people to do this giant art department thing, and um, there just wasn't the money. So it was weird. It was like, well, I I'll just do it. I'll make it. You know, mm-hmm. whatever needs to be made, I'll just make it. Because I would have the budget for the production, but you know, hiring people costs a lot of money. So, for example, like in the Love Witch for the Renaissance Fair, it's like, well, you know, um, I can spend three hundred dollars for each Renaissance costume just in fabric and trim, or how many labor days to hire yeah. someone to make these costumes? Like, because you you're looking at like a costume and then a cape and hose and a headdress you know, under tunic, over tunic, trim, hems, lining. (laughs) You know, for like 30 costumes. Yeah. And, you know, I tried to budget it and it just, I couldn't figure out, but there was no way to put it in the budget. So I was like, yeah, yeah, I can spend like three, three, four hundred dollars on fabric and trim. And that's about it. That's all the budget allows. (laughs) Yeah, totally. But it was like a year and a half of sewing, you know? Right. Yeah, God. So, like the, the ideal thing would be just to get like a team of costumers and spend a month and just make the costumes. That's how you're supposed to do it. But then mm-hmm. where does that, whatever $200,000 come from or whatever, however much that is, you know? I feel like this is such a thing that kind of like seems particularly feminized in some ways across creative industries. Like it's very much the same with polyester in terms of like what you're talking about with set and styling. It's like, yeah, I can't, afford to hire a set stylist so I'll just spend you know 10 days in the studio making some things for a shoot like do you think both of you from your perspectives like I suppose Bex how do you navigate that from when you're trying to give people advice on girls in film but also do you think that like women's projects are still underfunded like is that gap being closed at all because there's been a lot of chat about you know representation in the film industry but is that something that's kind of lip service um I, I think it's just like every every time like I make something I work like by the virtue of girls in film I, I work with like lots of women and there is a definitely more of a like mucking attitude from female filmmakers than you get from anyone else on set it, like with men most of the time they, they stick to their departments they do what they're there to do and nothing else whereas like you, you go on something with like a female director and they're like, okay, I'm going to do everything I can to make this as good as possible and keep it in budget. And like, I think the first thing I noticed when I, when I saw the credits, ro- the opening credits rolling on the love, which is, is that you produced, directed and edited and art department and costume and everything. And I was just like, oh my gosh, how long did it take? I mean, it was a few years, you know, <laughs> a few years. I don't know. <laughs> so, you know, it wasn't just, 
you know, I was ill for part of it too. So I wasn't well enough to go into production. It's like you could spend years just trying to get money, right? Just like hustling for money. Mm -hmm. And then, or you could spend years just kind of stitching a project together so that by the time you make it, you don't need any more money, you know? That's such a good point. Yeah. People always spend so long trying to raise funding and it's like you could have that time to much better. You're just doing this stuff yourself. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't. I mean, I would really. It would be so much nicer to have a team of people working together to make a film in a shorter period of time. It's not like I, you know, I don't, I don't really actually ever want to do that quite like that. Right? <laughs> that amount of labor. I just don't think it's it's a good use of my time anyway. You know. Yeah, I was just going to ask then what you were saying, Bex, about um, like men sticking to their role. Do you think this like? approach of like having to muck in is better for women artists or it's like a hindrance I think it's definitely both like if you're there with an all-female team and everyone's helping everyone then it's great but there is a you know when people put themselves forward they can kind of let themselves be walked walked on a little bit so if you have these people who are showing up on set who are you know crossing departments and doing everything that they can and then other people are kind of standing around like I've seen that happen quite a lot and I don't think it's fair and it's it's irritating and people, you know, I mean, it's happened to me as well before. I think it happens to everyone like at the beginning of their career. But I don't know. I think it's just part of the kind of entitlement that comes with some guys, even when they're very young. Right. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. I just don't know where it comes sense. from with like 20 year olds runners. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's a huge thing as well, though, isn't it? Like. I was talking earlier today completely unrelated about, you know, like how, I mean, I don't know if it, I think it is probably a feminized thing, but like you're willing to say yes to things, even if you know it's not particularly in your best interest or like the best use of your time. And it makes you more vulnerable to like being put back in those situations later down the line. Like, like you want to be a person that's very like, I want to help and I want to make this great and I want to make it the best thing. But then it it continually puts you in this like, state of vulnerability where you can just be called on at all times which I feel is like how do you kind of maintain those lines like especially you Anna like someone who you know you are kind of you're running the ship and how do you make sure that doesn't like impact your like well-being I suppose well I I think like you know on a film set you know everybody should be working as hard as they can at all times to be making sure that a good film gets made and you, you, you never get, I mean, for me, at least I, I've never had, you know, there's, there's always only a certain percentage of people that have that attitude and everybody who has that attitude, those people aren't, I don't see those people as people that are getting walked on. I see those people as people that are incredibly secure in their craft. And the reason that they're working so hard is that they're really good at what they do. They know what they're doing. They enjoy what they're doing. They're excited to be there they have a vision about the final product. Every person like that on a set contributes like 250%. And then there are people who are contributing like 20%. But I think, you know, what you notice though, is the people that are there, you know, present, are the people who are going to have careers in the film industry. And the people that are just kind of slacking, they don't have a career in the film industry. They, they don't get rehired. And who knows, like, I mean, maybe it isn't the right job for them, or maybe they're just, they just don't know who they are or, or what they want to be doing. Because I feel like if, even if it's not the perfect job for you, like you don't really want to be there, if you're going to be there, if, if you're there and you decided to be there, then make the most of it. Learn the most you can, help people the most you can, make the most contacts you can, be as helpful as you can. And I just think that 
as the years go by, crews are getting worse and worse. And I would say that if you're like someone who's concerned about being wage exploited, then you shouldn't go into filmmaking, especially not on low budget films, because you are working too many hours for your pay. If you're not enjoying it and learning and wanting to climb your way up, then it is a very shit job. You're in the wrong place. Like, there is definitely like some people who just, def- you can see that they go into it because they like the idea of it and they think it's going to be something other than what it is. And they realize that it is, it's not glamorous and it is kind of tough and you won't sleep much and you'll be standing out in the cold all night and they, they're not, they're not there for that. Yeah. And they, or they're there to party or, or to waste time or socialize or, or whatever it is. It is not about just making the movie. Mm-hmm. I also think that's why, like, I think like your attitude in particular, Anna, is like a huge reason why the Love Witch and your work has become so inspirational to like, creative women in general because you can see how much of like a labor of love it is and how much like you pay attention to every single detail like every bit is mapped out like everything is considered and I think that's just such a great thing to see like carried full to like a amazing conclusion and I think this isn't a question I'm just like gushing Swooning. <laughs> yeah I think definitely like personally but also our audience like our audience when we did the Love Witch feature when it came out just like it's one of the best reactions we've had to anything because I think so many people could look at that and be like this is just such a considered amazing beautiful clever piece of work well when my early in my early work one of the main criticisms I got was that my production design wasn't good and it was very ambitious, but it was it was sort of like about the gap between my fantasy and, and that's my yeah. entire life. The gap between fantasy and what's affordable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I've you know been trying to close that gap, and so I've worked really really hard on that. And it's interesting because I felt like in my early work, people were only focusing on the problems with the visuals and not on the story or the ideas. But I feel like there people are still doing that. They're still focusing on my visuals and not on my ideas. Mm. I wonder what that is, why that is, because I work so hard on. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Trying to present a certain type of idea or ideology or, or story or, or kind of a, an expression that I think is kind of singularly feminist. And why that's that's overlooked. That's also not necessarily a criticism of polyester, but like if people are talking to me about polyester, it's always like, oh, you've carved like such a clear aesthetic. And it's often that, yeah, that is true, obviously. But then it's like that is the aesthetic for a reason, which tracks back to all of these different things and the points that are trying to be made. And I think it, it basically comes down to that, like, you know, aesthetics are often a feminized thing, which are often dismissed as being like, non-serious or non-plus and obviously you make like very feminine work in its own way like dark and feminine at the same time and I think often that means people feel they don't need to interrogate it or it's just an easy way to dismiss it 
Whereas aesthetics are incredibly important when it comes to like feminist conversations. No, I mean, aesthetics are really important, but I just still feel like female directors or, or, or women being creative is still actually unbelievably so not kind of still not legitimate for a lot of people. You know, I mm-hmm. think that that it's a, a lot of people struggle with it, even women, you know, mm-hmm. like struggle with this idea of, you know, we're still very enmeshed in this idea of the woman as muse and the man as as creator. Yeah, I remember when I was reading ages ago, kind of reviews of The Love Witch and often by men that just did get it like so wrong or just like the stark comparison of like people that I know that have watched that film and what they take away from it that are women or like marginalized people versus what the like straight white man takes away from that film. And I suppose I was wondering like kind of, with art, it's always difficult because you make this thing, you spend so much time on it, you put it out in the world and then you kind of have no control over how it's received. And like, how do you deal with that? And does it bother you when things are misinterpreted in such a way? It, it actually doesn't bother me when people misinterpret it. What bothers me, and this is a really important distinction, is when people insist that I have a different agenda than I have. And this is what bothers me about a lot of the reviews. Yeah. We're saying, you know, she was trying to do this or she was trying to do that. And it's like, well, that's not what I was trying to do. That's how you saw it, but that's not what I was doing. And it was it's interesting how many of the reviews were about my intentions rather than owning up to their own, you know, experience of it. So that's what I have a problem with. You know, I have a problem with people getting my intentions wrong and then and then declaring my intentions. And I think that's a defensive position. So for example, I do want people to take away whatever they take away from it, even if it's the opposite of what I intended, but I don't want people to say She's obviously copying Les Meyer, or she's obviously parroting old films, or she wanted to make a bad film and succeeded, you know. Yeah. That really bothers me because because that is like that what that is is like making a criticism and not owning up to it. It's like making a criticism as if I'm making a movie in bad faith. So that to me is is actually extremely manipulative and politically important. Do you know? I think it's like so prevalent in criticism now across board where it's like and I went to uni for fashion journalism and they kind of taught us to write show reviews like this which I never went into show reporting but like oh how to how do I word this that it's kind of basically like it should be a self proclamation of how clever you are and how many references you understand and all of the other things you've seen and done and understood and I think particularly with your films Anna that is so like it's kind of just an inept thing to do because you provide so much context anyway. You provide so much of this. You lay out your intentions extremely clearly. I don't know. I, I think people are doing the best they can when they review a film and they're they're being honest and they're going by their own impressions. But I, I think I think the issue is, and I and this is this is really interesting too, and I, I'm glad this is happening, is that I made the love which on purpose to have men and women respond differently to it. So like I thought that women would respond from the inside and men would respond from the outside. So the idea is that women would identify with Elaine and her experiences and men would objectify Elaine and judge her and look at her from the outside like a witch in in the negative sense or, or, or just in a sexual sense. Like they would be doing to her what the men in the film were doing to her. And I expected that to happen. I was interested in what would happen with the criticism. And so I think it's interesting. It's not just the men, it's like the culture in general. Like women have been sexualized from the outside since the 60s, like since Ressmeyer. The interesting thing is I'm kind of the anti-Ressmeyer because Ressmeyer 
was about kind of emptying out the woman and just having her only be a sex object and, and like removing the insides of the woman, which you had in earlier films, which is one reason I'm so interested in classic cinema. I'm interested in pre Rustmeyer, you know, in femme fatales, like noir femme fatales. That's where my references are coming from. They sort of get the references right in the sense that, oh, it's a femme fatale. She's kind of retro. She's very obvious as a femme fatale. She's trying to be sexual. But, and, and you know, you know, I can't blame people for not having the same references I have or like mm. older references. It's just that I'm actually trying to like subvert, you know, Russ Meyer Playboy bubble-headed sex <laughs> and trying yeah. to reverse that and trying to go into the interior of a woman. And I think that's what's interesting about it. So the fact that my sources in my mind are, are movies about femme fatale that are earlier would never expect men to actually suddenly be like women <laughs> or suddenly be able to see a movie from the point of view of a woman when they they're not called on ever to do that. It's interesting as well because like Olivia and I talk a lot on the po- like one of our podcast formats about how stereotypes that you kind of grow up with in films or like tropes really do infiltrate the way you carry yourself into adult life or live your life like whether it's like the manic pixie dream girl or all the different like teen film stereotypes or even the way we expect relationships to play out in adulthood is like largely based on what we see in film and tv and Olivia was saying that it's so great about your work that you know it's like you're writing that with women in mind whereas normally you're right like it's being written by a man like a projection of what that femininity is or what those roles are or what those stereotypes are so I suppose Olivia you kind of had a question about that right yeah well it was about because we talk so much about like representation of women in film so it's important that we you know represent how women exist but then I was interested in what you both thought working in film about how representation of women then like infiltrates in culture so one thing we did once was like Manic Pixie Dream Girl and how like you can identify with that if you've grown up around it sometimes it like becomes a part of who you are like I know I definitely at points have but it wasn't created by a woman and it wasn't like created with me in mind or my like sad or sexual liberation in mind and so I think just to go around again is like how you think film is influencing the culture of being a woman yeah well you know obviously it has a huge impact I mean girls don't have a whole lot of role models at all I mean I don't know I actually don't watch a lot of newer films actually so I don't I don't maybe I'm wrong I think you're you're right (laughs) but like you know I had this epiphany when I was in graduate school that the reason I like classic movies so much was actually because so many of them were written by female writers and so many of the actresses were so incredible and they, they kind of created their own sort of auteur-like personality and the roles were written for them for their strong personality and their personas and how obsessed I was with that and how it was like helping me to have an identity and that if I would have like just felt like drowned and suffocated without these movie roles, these actresses to kind of cling on to, you know, and I feel like I get extremely depressed if I'm not able to see, if I see like a bunch of, you know, movies without good female roles, like in a row, I'll start to feel almost like suicidal. Like, I just feel like there's no place for women or girls in the world. Like, I said, you know, there's this this movie, The Man I Love with Ida Lupino, who's one of my favorite actresses. And, you know, there's a scene in it and it's just like, there's this kid and he's about to do something stupid. He's her brother-in-law. And, 
he's this big man and she's this tiny woman and she just like beats the shit out of him because <laughs> he's holding a gun i think and, and she doesn't want him to use it and she just like beats, she just looks just a slap 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 and he just falls you know and it's just like i mean i'm not just talking about violence but i'm just saying that these women you know they have like their femininity and their toughs and their smarts so many of these movies were made by books from female novelists and screenplays by women and whole teams of women, you know, just writing and the writing has more to do with it than the directing, you know, in a way. It's this this writing, these these female characters and there was such a, and it's because the women were the ones deciding who went what movies people went to. And they would take the family to movies because the men were involved in their office and the women were at home like looking at what was making decisions for the family. So they you know, they made so many films for women. So that whole period, you know, from the early 30s, the late 50s or early 60s, you know, and we just haven't had anything like that since then, you know? They are now starting to have women making films and writing films and yeah. getting them out there a little bit more, which is really, really exciting. And you can just tell, can't you? Like, a year or so ago, I went to see a, a film with a, a woman who wrote and directed the film. And I asked her, like, what that meant. And she was kind of just like, it just is my life. Like, I, I wasn't saying, like... I want to represent these women and this friendship between these women and things. She was just definitely like, it's just so, it's just, it's come across so strongly because having me in the film is so unavoidable. And then you just think how like so easily it's been missed for so long in so many different art forms that like there is no, there is no voice or no representation whatsoever. It's just the same with literature. It's like, you know, the characters are always going to be drawn from real life and the story is always going to be drawn. There's always going to be an autobiographical element in it. And like the fact, you're right, it's the fact that you don't see that in film. It just goes to show that women haven't been, haven't been given the opportunity to write films, you know, in history. Well, what's really, really hard though, which is I'm discovering more and more, is that a lot of times men actually don't find women's stories really that interesting. Which, and this is like why, because so many of the executives who are producing and financing films are men. Yeah. You know, so you have to get your script to resonate with a whole number of people, the majority of whom are going to be men, you know, financiers and producers and, and maybe studio heads or maybe distributors in order to get a film with a, a decent budget made. It may not be that you have a bad story or a bad script. It may just be that your script is too girly. I just think people have ideas in their mind about what sells and the kinds of stories that have historically sold, you know, made a lot of money are the kinds of films that people think are, are going to make. So people, have, they, they like to play it very safe. So if you haven't had a lot of films written by women, then there is a perception that those films don't sell, not because they didn't sell, but because they haven't they don't exist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there are a lot of movies that are, are written and directed by men that flop, but it isn't, then you just don't say, well, then men can't make a successful movie. I had two kind of roundup questions, and I suppose you can just answer whichever, you know, speaks to you more. Like, I found it really interesting what you said, <laughs> Anna, about like how, you know, you kind of went from making films in art school that were like art films, and then obviously now you're making feature films. And I think a big, like, barrier that young female creators face in their mind is like this idea of legitimacy like when are you a legitimate artist like when can I actually call myself a filmmaker or like whatever you want to call yourself so I suppose like my first question would be like what advice would you give on that 
And then my roundup question would just be like, what makes you hopeful for the future of film? You need to make something substantial and be, be honest with yourself. Is it a substantial thing that you made that you're proud of? And then you can call yourself legitimate, whether it gets any public recognition or not. The future of film, I have no idea. I mean, with this virus, I guess film, you know, will always be okay because people are bored and they want to watch something, right? I just don't know in what form. Like, Yeah, it's quite scary thinking about like what's going to... Um... What's going to happen, you know, with things that have been worked on over the last few months, like the whole prospect of not being able to screen at a physical festival is quite upsetting. I mean, we'll, we'll deal with it as it comes. But yeah, it takes kind of the that final magic away where you really feel like, okay, this is the thing that we made and these are the people seeing it. You, you don't get that good feeling. But I think in terms of legitimacy, it's time, it's thought, it's talking about it. It's like, you know, spending time around other passionate people talking about things and not just kind of fluffing and getting a camera and shooting something. It's, I think, yeah, a lot of people do do that. I think that's kind of tied in with, um, I would tie that into social media quite a lot as well. That kind of immediacy of being able to do things and, you know, having access to cameras 24 seven, I think it, it makes people think that it's a lot simpler than it is and not really interrogate themselves that much. Yeah. But, you know, it's also like, you know, there's like the gallery space, like an art, you know, there's the gallery space, you know, there's Duchamp's toilet, you know, put in a gallery space and becomes a piece of art. We really should have, you know, the, this, the serious space, I think still we should, re- we should preserve that in a way so that like, there's a sense everybody's an artist and everybody's, everybody's life is, is a movie and that's interesting in a way, but there also, there needs to be like a distinction in some way between like a professional space and, and just like a, a non-professional space. Yeah. And also seeing that, like, you know, that kind of beginning step of it, like the first few things you make or whatever as a part of the process, not that like it's suddenly you're, you're, you're ready made then you've done it. Like, cause you've like, it's like a part of a process that is constantly, you're going to be building upon for your whole life. Yeah. Otherwise it's like an injustice, isn't it? Just to creativity and like a creative process. I totally agree with that. I think that while there's this huge struggle to like encourage women to see themselves as creatives and artists, it's still really important to see like the work that has to go into that. Like that again, it's like, not that you're always, always creating something, but you are always kind of thinking about it. It's like always in the back of your mind that you're like working on it and that you're like interrogating what that means and why you're doing it and what it means to yeah, create art that maybe is never seen because it's it's like years and years and years before you are creating something that you think is like ready to go public. And that's really important because I think a lot of that has to do with like how good your education is, like what kind of school you went to or what kind of training that you had. And I think that women have not only less access to that type of education, but they also are taken less seriously when they do go to school. And often they're they're just told, you know, they don't have to work as hard, you know, or you're just, oh, you're so pretty, you don't need to do anything. You know what I mean? I've seen like attitude in some women that really like, upsets me in a way this idea of this this lack of you know and everybody actually in a lot of people not just women but that they just think everything's easy and that everything's about the surface like instagram and you don't have to work hard like but people just have this like um, false notion that things are easy and it's also that like if you're working on something it kind of goes back to what you're originally saying about people on sets that like 
this misconception that if you're working on something you love, you have to love it and enjoy it all the time. Whereas that's not the case. Like creative work is like, yeah, laborious, difficult, joyless at many different times. Like it's like, it's a love that's not always rewarding, I suppose. Like it's rewarding at certain point, the important points, but it's not like I'm going to wake up every day and be super happy because you're going to have to do boring stuff or like stuff that you're not happy with and stuff that you don't enjoy. And that's part of being an artist as well. Yeah, exactly. And then, but also then the end reward, you end up doing something you're proud of is incredibly higher than any sort of shallow reward that you get when you don't really try. That was great. And it's just so important to think about different ways of putting value on your life. I know that we always talk about it, but just like being proud of something is so important, isn't it? Like Mm -hmm. just kind of, yeah, enjoying it, but you're not always going to enjoy everything all the time. But but like wanting the thing that you've created to exist in the way that it does is like, that's a good reward, isn't it? I think it's a good takeaway that basically if you want to make something happen, you can just do like you should just do everything in your power to make it happen like no matter what barriers or you know like lack of recognition whether that's monetary or any other type of recognition or reinforcement that you can still like make amazing pieces of work that change people's lives or even just change your own life yeah totally and I also think that like sometimes the work needs to be on those like external and internal barriers more than it needs to be on conventional things like budget and space and time even though all those things are really important but I've been thinking so much recently about how the most important thing is you in this process and how working on you as an artist is sometimes more important than like creating art that is like funded and you know in a conventional space and what have you. Yeah, totally. So thank you so much again to Anna and Bex. And the best part of this is, this is just the first piece of the puzzle. So on Thursday, we're going to be dropping our December Dollhouse cover, which is kind of kicking off the Dollhouse collaboration with Girls in Film, supported by Dr. Martins. And I'm not going to give away who it is, but it's an ex-podcast guest if you want a little hint. But that's coming out on Thursday. We're launching the cover on Thursday and then the content the following Monday. So if you haven't signed up to the Dollhouse yet, it's a great opportunity. No better time than now. It's a great Christmas gift. And we're going to be, for everyone that basically orders up until Christmas, you get a Christmas card that you can either, we can either write to you or you can have it to write to the person you want to give the Dollhouse membership to. Am I making sense? Yeah, that makes total sense. And also, great news about the Dollhouse is there's a, with the silver membership, there's a WhatsApp group and it absolutely goes off. It's great. Yeah, so like silver and gold members get access to our WhatsApp group. So many recommendations in there. I'm always just chatting shit about TV I'm watching. So if you're into that kind of thing, <laughs> you also, if you sign up to the Dollhouse, not only... Do you get a Christmas card? You're going to get a poster that is featuring images from the shoot for our next cover. And it's A2, so it's like a good size. <laughs> I'm just always wow. impressed by things that are big. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, anyway, that's my dollhouse ran over. Next week, we're doing our Christmas special, no? Sleep yeah. at the club. It's going to involve mulled wine. Mm, I don't like mulled wine, so I'll drink Prosecco, but... <laughs> it's going to involve <laughs> alcohol. <laughs> 
Thank you to Dr. Martins for supporting this project. It's been an absolute pleasure to do this one-off episode, special edition, Sleepover Club. Thank you to Anna and Bex for joining us. And thank you to Olivia. And thank you to you, Ione. And thank you to all of the listeners. And thank you to Clarissa and to Naya and to Gina and Gina and to Carlin and to Hattie and to Camille and to Charlotte. Bye. Bye.